0: Hello, and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Const. So let's talk about the filibuster. If you want to understand how power works in Washington, you have to understand this little twist on democracy. You may think that democracy requires 50% of the vote plus one to do things. <laughs> well, if this is just past the election, and if this past election did not show you the error of your thinking, then you know what? Hang on to your hat for our discussion on the filibuster. Let's start on the floor of the Senate with the minority leader. Gotta like saying that, Mitch McConnell.
1: So our side is ready to share ideas and work with the Biden administration, applying common sense to find common ground for the common good.
0: Finding common ground for the common good. Wow, you think he wrote that himself? He sounds so reasonable. Forget it. So you know the phrase, iron fist inside a velvet glove? Napoleon, probably others said it too. Well, that was Mitch McConnell's iron fist in the velvet gl- glove in that clip. What he was really saying in his pledge to find common ground was, quote, you need at least 10 of the Repu- of my Republicans, my Republicans, to vote with you to pass your agenda. You may think you have 51 votes and I have 50, like they are writing in the media, but the reality is you need at least 10 of my Republicans to vote with you to pass your agenda. You want to get anything done? You come through me, Mitch McConnell. The reason can be summed up in one word filibuster. The filibuster goes back so far in American history that it is from a Dutch word. Remember the Dutch back when people still remember the Dutch's role in starting this country. If you've ever driven or walked down the streets of New York, you see a bunch of streets lined with Dutch names because they were the oligarchs of New York City. It was in fact a Dutch word for piracy. That's what filibuster was the word for, which makes so much sense. Now it isn't in the it is not in the Constitution. In fact. The idea really didn't take root until 1806. The idea was that every member elected to represent a constituency should be allowed to have their say. That sounds democratic enough, right? But the House of Representatives quickly realized it made it impossible to get things done if one opponent just kept talking and talking and talking and who knows how many politicians love to talk and talk and talk and talk. In the Senate, however, this rule fossilized under layers of politics and history. And of course, in the egos of senators who liked that just the sound of their voice could stop the whole chamber in its tracks. Now that is power. It is the kind of stuff stuff that makes the Senate so deeply infuriating. All through the 19th century, party leaders from both parties tried to get rid of this unlimited debate to no avail. And it wasn't until 1917, in the middle of World War I, start of a pandemic, by the way, that they even got the rule providing for a vote to stop debate known as cloture. The core of this is now that the Senate's, Senate's rule 22, which currently requires that to cut off a debate, you must have a yes vote from three fifths of the Senate, 60 senators when everyone shows up. In other words, to pass most legislation. You actually need 60 votes, not 51. Now the best known and most reviled uses of the filibuster was by Southern racists blocking civil rights measures. Hmm. But there have been many times when the filibuster or threat of the filibuster was used by our side too. In fact, Amy Comey Coney Barrett would not be on the Supreme Court today were it not for the limit on filibusters adapted in recent years so they could not be used to block presidential appointments. Probably the best movie ever made on this, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, depicted Jimmy Stewart using the filibuster to protect the little guy from entrenched power. It's romantic nonsense, maybe, but watch the movie and you can decide for yourself because we couldn't play it (laughs) due to copyright reasons. The real issue isn't how the filibuster has been used, but how it will be used. Right now, it is clearly the single most important source of power for Republicans in the federal government. If Mitch McConnell uses it to block pandemic relief or racial justice measures or needed climate policy, then I say it's time to pull the plug. He has a certain interest in not forcing the issue. Remember one of the few things he ignored Donald Trump on before the last few weeks was when Trump called for an end to the filibuster. Obama and Biden have both said the filibuster should be reconsidered. They're both former senators if it blocks voting rights legislation. But presidents don't control this. The senators control this. And every one of them, Democrat and Republican and independent, (laughs) would be giving up a little bit of power to end the system that lets anyone of them block all of them. Any one of them block all of them. So vote to end the filibuster won't be popular among McConnell's members, which is why what he is really saying with the threat inside his velvet glove was, let's see if we can negotiate common ground for the common good so I don't have to force the filibuster showdown. It's very unpopular, by the way. So let's see, we will continue to discuss the filibuster in coming months and especially the effects on black Americans as it is used as a weapon of racism. But for now, we just started with an explanation. We have a brilliant show today. Daniela Lapidus is here with Emma Vigland, And right before the break, uh, right after the break, excuse me, we will chat, chat with Ume Hoke. Ume Hoke, who is the organizing director of the Debt Collective, because there is a whole slew of debt that we have the opportunity to erase, not postpone, not cut down on, but actually erase because of the moment that we're in. And that is what we're going to talk about right after this break. But first, where's my books? I got my books here. Uh, I had a really imp- it, it, a great morning because we had our book discussion for our second book club in the book series uh, for the TNS book club. If you don't know about it, go check it out at patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. We have three book club levels. Uh, you can either sign up for one book a month, two books a month, or four books a month. And our second book in the series is the Plunkett of Tammany Hall. It is a tiny book. Look at all my notes here. This is this is what it means to be leading a book club. You have all these notes everywhere. We uh, talked about this book with Arun Chowdhury because we couldn't actually call up uh, George Plunkett, who was the Plunkett of Tammany Hall. He is, of course... The, the 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 person who speaks uh, through this. It was through a series of speeches because God forbid he write a book, which if you're a member of the book club and you read this book, you'll understand why he despised people writing books or reading books. But it is, it is a great, uh, George Washington Plunkett was a, a, a machine leader in New York. He went in very poor, ended up very rich at the end. And he talks about the lessons he learned by being in politics in the New York machine uh, during his era and what it meant to be an effective politician. Of course, Tammany Hall is more known for its corruption, but we actually talk about the good sides of Tammany Hall. And it relates not just to this moment today, but to the Democratic Party today. Just a little bit of a teaser, uh, Arun Chowdhury, who is of course, he grew up in New York, as I did too, in New York State. But he, uh, you know, the two of us, we discussed how the Democratic Party today a little bit of a teaser stole some of the worst ideas from tammany hall and left out the best ideas from tammany hall like constituent services and representing the working people i mean that's essentially what tammany hall was you showed up on the docks as an immigrant and tammany hall was there to greet you he became part of of their little squad and they went out there and not only helped you find jobs but uh fought for the working people And and this book also discusses something that I also think is relevant today, which is honest versus dishonest graft. I don't think any of the graft would be uh, legal today, but it does relate to the modern day word, which is grift. So check out our book club. It is the nomi key show book club at patreon.com slash the nomi key show and right before this book we just finished up thomas Paine and the promise of america you can check out our first interview with harvey k who is the author of this book and then we have another one where he's answering your questions so if you haven't submitted your questions yet do it soon because we're going to pick up on that interview email us at the nomi key show at gmail.com all right promotions over First two books, we have some more coming. Exciting. You'll be getting them in your mailboxes in the coming days. All right, we'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Debt. I'm going to guess most of our viewers, if not all of them, have some form of debt because its is, its is, it's got a stranglehold on our society right now. And as we were spiraling into what I think is Great Depression 2.0. And we have no sense, and I don't even know if our politicians have a sense of just how bad the economy is going to get. A big part of, of why the economy is so dangerously out of control is because of the debts that we faced, whether it's rent debt, student loan debt, healthcare debt. Uh, you know, it goes on and on and on. Uh, very excited about our next guest. We have had her her uh, uh, one of her colleagues on the show talking about uh, the debt collective. That was Astra Taylor. But we are excited to have Umi Hawk on. She's an or- the organizing director of the debt collective. And she has a new uh, op ed out right now in The Guardian talking very much about this debt that is just infected our country to a point where I think we're an embarrassment uh, to the world in 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 how we treat debt um, and individuals. So thank you so much for joining us, Zumi. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's let's start with the premise of your op-ed. Why did you write this now?
2: <laughs> um, well, I wrote this um, now because I am on debt strike, um, so. Um, the Debt Collective, um, a union of debtors working to build a world um, where we have college, housing and Medicare for all, have um, launched a campaign called the Biden Jubilee 100, and 100 of us are on debt strike and refusing to pay our student loan debt until Joe Biden takes um, all the authority that he has and cancels all all of it. Um, 10,000, 50,000, it's not enough. Um, we demand full cancellation. And until that's done, we are on strike. So we symbolically represent the first 100 days of his presidency. So I've been on strike since Wednesday. Um, we'll continue to be on strike. I, um, and so I wrote an op-ed to explain why we're going on strike and what Joe Biden needs to do to take the first steps toward college for all by canceling all student debt.
0: What is the average, I mean, we're seeing it right now in here, but what is what is uh, the amount of debt collectively that we have in this country um, related to student debt?
2: So 45 million people owe $1.7 trillion in student loan debt, uh, a number that's so large it's almost hard to conceptualize. I personally owe $70,000 worth of student loan debt, and the hundreds uh, the 100 of us that are on strike Combine oh millions of dollars in debt. Um, And these are numbers that are just too large, especially in a moment, like you said, where people are struggling, millions of people are losing their homes and their jobs, uh, are just trying to find ways to get by. Joe Biden has the authority with the flick of a pen, he can cancel all of this debt and provide relief to millions of people and at the same time boost our economy and at the same time do all kinds of things that would actually help people. So now is the moment, now is the time, and we are demanding
0: that he does it. I have so many questions. Okay. So, so so the first thing is, is how does he have this authority? Um, You know, does, are we just talking about federal uh, debt? I mean, what about banks that do private loans? How does this all play into his ability to strike out the debt?
2: That's a great question. So there are different types of debt um, and we are talking about federal debt um, and there are other challenges within that. So that's what that $1.7 trillion is. Um, But that is the authority that he has that Congress has granted. Um, And there are other measures that can and should be taken for all of the different types of debt that people hold. But even just within that federal debt, it's $0.7 trillion. And it is something to take action right away. Um, And so that's why that's what we're demanding right now, but it is not the only solution to the problem around debt. And that is why it's the first step toward taking us on that path toward college for all and a system where education is again, a public good, as opposed to a way of penalizing people for trying to make it in this country. The American dream has truly turned into us just trying to pay off debt. And that's just not a sustainable way for any of us to live.
0: I don't have the numbers in front of me. You might be more familiar with this, but I was really shocked to see how many uh, Americans did not graduate, but carry this debt burden. Maybe they didn't finish because they couldn't afford to finish or they couldn't afford the books or the housing or or, or they had to work to keep up. Uh, there's so many different reasons why why Americans don't finish school. Um big part of that is the cost of going to college in, in this country. Uh, and, and of course, afterwards, you know, we, we, this is before we even consider uh, the promises of jobs that you're supposed to get, or at least our generation was told, you know, you go to college, you go to graduate school, and you're going to get a well-paying job, ha-ha, especially if you graduated around 2008. <laughs> so I mean, what, what does that number look like? Uh, In terms of in terms of people who did not uh, get a degree and carry this debt with them, as well as you know the the promise of of not having a well paid job or or I mean either if you have a degree or you don't it it, it, you don't have this certificate so you paid part of the way uh, but don't have this certificate partly because you know in many of these cases people can't afford to continue.
2: Absolutely, yeah. That forty five million number um, includes all of who hold debt and not everyone graduated from college. And we know the majority of people are um, from communities of color, from class families. Um, and so when we think about student loan debt, sometimes we only think about the people who graduated who have jobs or are struggling to find jobs. Um, because, again, the, the job market, the pandemic, and because of the changes in higher education have created other problems, but there are so many people that carry student loan debt who don't have paper, Um, and the number is substantial as well. It's a huge chunk of that, $45 and there has to be solutions for that as well, Um, especially if they haven't been able to acquire that degree or finish out that program. So the people who are impacted by this are not just college graduates or people who have doctorates. It's truly everyone who um, was like, so many of us who are on strike have had these similar stories about the fact that we went to college to get a good job, or we were Told to, because that is how you get a good job. It's the American dream to pull yourself up from the bootstraps and like achieve in this country. And for working class families, that means taking on debt. doesn't mean you always complete that program, but you try and you want to, and that's what you're told the entire time. And that's why we know that this is a systemic problem that has been created within this country because of bad political policy. Um, The cuts in um, federal and state-based grants to higher education has allowed that people are taking on more and more debt, um, and they're really struggling when they're in school to be able to complete programs. And if they do complete programs, they're struggling to find jobs. Um, And all the while, we still have incredible amounts of debt um, that people are going to pay on such low wages. Um, so there has to be solutions for everyone. And the first step in that solution is to cancel this debt.
0: I mean, for, I think pretty much everyone who, who who has this debt is aware that you have no choice but to pay it. Uh, and and I, I mean, when we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are worried about potentially being evicted or... Uh, not being able to pay the the remainder of their rent or their, you know, some of these rents are already very high. And, you know, in, in, in two months or three months, I'm not sure if people are looking on the market right now, the rents have dropped astronomically. So even if people are able to keep up with their rent, um, they're probably paying rents that are much higher than they were six, seven, eight, ten 10 months ago and against the market rate. Um, and not sure if their jobs are secure or maybe they aren't secure. Uh, if you have healthcare costs from before, if you've had COVID, if you've had COVID-related healthcare costs afterwards, I mean, there's so many debts that are piling on. But student debt is something you cannot run away from, and I think that is what makes this debt so incredibly humane, and and it's um it's it's in, inhumane in a way that I don't know if our politicians are getting it. Eliminating ten thousand dollars might work for some people. And that that's fantastic if it cuts into, you know, a few hundred thousand or even a few million people. That, absolutely wonderful. It will affect the economy. But when the economy is spiraling this much out of control and people are, are carrying so much debt, maybe all three of these plus more credit card debt. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's a risk, I imagine, for those who decide to go on strike. No, I mean, will 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 folks start coming after you? you? Have creditors coming after you? You can't go bankrupt as a result of student loan debt. I mean, what are some of the potential risks in 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 going on strike?
2: I mean, there's risks to taking any sort of action. Um, so, um, yeah, there could be all kinds of potential. But I'll be worried. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not worried about the risk. I'm worried about if we don't take care of this problem. If Joe Biden doesn't do something um, and soon exactly for the reasons that you just said. Student loan debt is something that's incredibly inhumane, and it's something that he can take action on right away. Without Congress, he has the authority given to him by Congress, and we know what a dramatic impact it would make on the lives of so many people who are struggling right now. So to me, the risk is that we don't do anything, or to me, the risk is that we go with ten or $50,000, and even if you were to write off $50,000 worth of debt, you're still leaving out 25% of people who owe. Who currently have student loan debt, and those are some of the people who are struggling the most right now. So there is so much risk if we just keep operating the way that we are and pretend like the, that things are working fine and that families will be okay because of small, um, you know, small changes here and there. We need radical changes. We need to be able to address this huge moment we're in where we have such a great, pan- like a great crisis between the pandemic, between job losses, um, we have increasing tension around racial issues. This is a step toward addressing all of those things and achieving something that would really improve the lives of so many people and take us on a track to really make this country what we want, a place where people really can learn and thrive and take those next steps to be able to be socially mobile. Um, and so the risk to me is if we don't do that.
0: Of course, um, you know this 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 conversation we're having over ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand uh, dollars. Senator Schumer has been pushing for fifty thousand dollars in elimination of student debt. Uh, Joe Biden uh, ten thousand dollars is where you know his starting point has been. But uh, I guess my question is, if we eliminate all student debt one point seven trillion dollars, it doesn't happen at all, uh, once, right? It's not like the balance sheet it's it's striked out on the balance sheet of of the the U.S. government's debt. Um, you know, they first off, they, for anybody who believes in MMT, we always have the ability to to print money, and and this is this is almost in a weird way um, theoretical at this point. If I if I can lean in and say that, but what are some of the what are the excuses that that maybe some politicians in power are saying about why they're choosing ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand um, dollars, and not just going with the whole one point seven trillion dollars?
2: Um. You know, I am actually very curious myself. There are things that people say about, you know, the numbers um, based on old data. Um, I think there was a time when maybe, um, you know, in the last ten years, student loan debt has ballooned one hundred percent. So a lot of the research around this um, is changing because people are acquiring interest in student loan debt is increasing. So depending on what data you're looking at, it could say, it could look like ten or fifty thousand dollars would make a bigger impact than it does, but over the past ten years, it really has ballooned by a hundred percent. That means it needs to be more than ten or fifty thousand dollars that people are able to feel that relief from, um, and so. I I find it pretty surprising because student loan debt cancellation is supported not only by people like me and people who want to build this better world around making sure that this is canceled, but people just in general across the country, across all political backgrounds are saying this debt should be canceled. It is not fair. Um, And we need to take these steps right away. So um, yeah, I, I actually have a similar question. I wonder why they're not taking the steps that would really not only support so many people that's supported by so many people. It would... Truly
0: transform lives. Now, really does feel like the moment. I imagine that other sectors are also advocating for the elimination of student debt because it pulls from, you know, the real estate industry. Uh, Landlords are not able to get people to pay their rent. I mean, how many people are choosing not to pay their rent because they have to pay their student debt? Uh, Credit card companies. We know Joe Biden comes from Delaware, credit care capital of the world. You know, I imagine all of these different companies have a stake in making sure that student, I mean, it is, that's essentially what's happening is people, you know, whatever money they are making immediately goes to to student debt first, because there's no way out of it. Uh, You can't postpone the credit card. You know, you can't go bankrupt. You can't, uh, you know, let the interest rates. It it just sits there and you have to deal with it. So are you seeing organization from these other sectors that we probably also want to have elimination of debt from, (laughs) but other sectors uh, that have it in their own interest, just playing politics to to eliminate student debt?
2: I think we're seeing a lot of support from a lot of different people on this issue. Um, And so there are definitely um, all kinds of folks in there who are saying that these things need to be changed. Um, And that's why this is, I mean, this is truly a win-win issue for Joe Biden and the Democrats a lot in a lot of different ways. It really does do all those things that you just said. People right now are choosing between which bills they're paying. Um, and if we wanna take steps for, toward people paying other types of debt and all their types of bills, um, then it, this is a way of being able to do that. Um, and so um, hopefully everyone's thinking about this and everyone's recognizing that this is not only something that would you know be great for so many people, but also it's just really logical policy um, because it will allow that these people will will have more money, they'll be able to pay more bills, they'll be able to invest it in the local economy. We know that if we cancel student loan debt, there will be billions of dollars that will be invested into our economies and create jobs over the, um, into the foreseeable future. Is just such a great way of providing, you know, quote unquote stimulus in this moment um, during a pandemic. There's, I I can't even fathom a reason not to do it. It's just so logical. And it's one of the few things that's just so easy to do. Um,
0: So yeah. We should do it. We had a great question from uh, one of our viewers right now. Opponos tribe. I apologize if I'm not saying that properly. Opponos uh, asks. It would be curious to know, however, if you if you refinance student loan loan debts with private loan. If you can file bankruptcy against the personal loan, I don't see why not unless it's a part of the contract. That's a great question. Um, you know, I'm automatically thinking that these other sectors, including the private loans, probably want the public the public loans paid off. Everyone's like, please eliminate the tax. So they can start paying us. But I mean, that's that's a very interesting question. Can you refinance with the private loans and then essentially go bankrupt? Have you heard of this? That's That'd a really a great
2: idea. question. Yeah, that's a really great question. I'll be honest; I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to give bad legal advice. Um, but if folks are interested in like thinking about other ways that we can deal with student debt, we have launched a campaign. The Debt Collective is building a union of debtors, where we're getting people together to strategize on how we're going to take on this debt, how we're going to take on all forms of debt, and really um, transform this country into a place where everyone has the power to go to college for all, Medicare for all, housing for all. So um, I would really encourage folks to get involved. Um, and, and join the campaign, join the union, um, and find ways to plug in, because we need brains like that thinking about these things. And I just don't want to give um, the incorrect legal course, advice. Um, but that's also a great way to reach out, and we can um, find out more about that together.
0: Um, how has the response been so far from, from different lawmakers, whether it's the Biden administration or senators? Do you have political support yet? I know it's we're on day two of the Biden administration. I just want to remind people in the press, this is day two, <laughs> some of these... Some of some of the segments lately have been like, why has Joe Biden done so little, so much? It's day two, but uh, given that it is day two, are are there political alliances that you've built, or are you looking to build? Um, I think we're
2: we're looking to build political alliances and we're also looking to put pressure on politicians. There are definitely some politicians, like you've said, who have already come out um, in support of $50,000. There's some politicians that have come out in um, in support of canceling all of it, um, like members of the squad. Joe Biden has said $10,000. So we are, uh, the 100 of us on strike and then through the debt collective, we are gonna put pressure on politicians and ask politicians to join and support our strike and our campaign to cancel this debt because Joe Biden does have the authority. Congress has the authority. Someone needs to understand how important this issue is, how many people it affects, um, and take action on it. Um, And we will continue to build those alliances and also take action where necessary so that we can really win into the future and make sure that this debt gets relieved and these people are able to really um, enjoy their lives and actually just feel a bit of relief in a time of pandemic um, when 45 million of us are struggling with this debt.
0: Before we wrap, my 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 last question is spe- specifically about the systemic racism. Um, you alluded to it, but uh, it is it is definitely more complicated and hitting uh, certain parts of the population much more severely. Can you discuss that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of the data shows that the majority of student loan debt um, impacts um, communities of color, Black, Brown, Indigenous communities, as well as women the most. Um, And, you know, based on the fact that these policies were created on a federal level, it makes a lot of sense. The student loan debt is the cost of working people and communities of color trying to go to college. Um, And so we're taking out the majority of this debt, and we're the ones who are holding the majority of it. Um, And so all of this is really tied together toward all of these problems that we have within these policies in our higher education system around systemic racism and around um, the way that uh, policies have been passed through Republicans, especially starting with Reagan, who started with the cuts in federal and state-based education spending, which is, which have really just continued. Um, so student loan uh, cancellation, um, all of it, is not gonna solve all the problems of racial justice, but it is truly a first step in that, um, in the journey that we all need to take in this country together to dealing with a lot of these discrepancies and gaps in terms of um, uh, race and money and debt and costs and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's just the right thing to do
0: for folks who want to join the debt strike. Uh, where can, where can they get involved? What do they do? Do you help them, uh, work through some of these apprehensions? I mean, it, as any strike, as you said, there's always risk attached and associated with it, but what, where, uh, can folks learn more?
2: Uh, the Debt Collective website. So uh, go to the Debt Collective. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. We're um, we're building a movement of people. It is scary to go on strike sometimes, but there is power in numbers. Um, And so the more of us there are, the stronger we stand together, then we're gonna be able to achieve these things and make sure that every politician knows how important this is to all of us and to everyone in our communities. Um, And
0: there's always less risk when there's more numbers. Um, So get involved, definitely. And this is the moment. I mean, this is the moment that uh, Biden is most vulnerable. Uh, He is he is figuring out his positioning on this. Uh, Like you said, Chuck Schumer has already come up with a number that is five times what Biden's number is. And, you know still not perfect but it shows that there's dissent and they're not unified and if we can pressure other lawmakers other senators to apply pressure on the biden administration if there are more people striking if there are more students stepping up if there are more people of color stepping up who let's not forget uh biden owes his presidency to you know we have to come up with the conditions that make them do what is Abs. i mean i don't even know why we're debating this at this point it's it's, it's ridiculous anybody who looks at the economy right now needs to understand that i mean even other financial sectors understand how much this is prohibiting us from moving forward especially because so many young people uh are 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 taking what little they're making if they're making anything and putting it into into this debt so thank you for, for for doing this and for stepping up go check out the debt collective we'll put that information in the info section on youtube and for anybody else checking uh we'll be tweeting this out as well thank you so much Thank you, Umi Hawk, who is uh, an organizing director at the Debt Collective. You can check out her, uh, she has an op-ed in The Guardian. We will put that up as well. Go check that out, share it, raise awareness. And if you can, join this strike. We will be right back uh, with our Femme Friday panel. There was so much to discuss in these two days of the Biden administration. Why isn't he doing more? Why is he doing so much? I don't know. That's what we have to discuss and much, much, much more. All right, stick around. Welcome back to the Show. If you are joining us on YouTube, make sure to smash that like button, click that little bell. So, you know, when I go live in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, I don't know, whenever I feel like it, make sure to click that bell. And of course, join us in the chat. Uh, And to our new friends on Twitch. Thank you for joining us on Twitch. I heard that our Twitch is blowing up. I don't want to blow it up, but it's it's growing. So thank you to everybody who's joining us and who's rated us on Twitch. And to those we've rated, uh, we're building a lot of alliances. This is a lot of fun. I am learning. Listen, before I jump into the game space, I need to become an expert. I like to study. So I am studying how to be the perfect Halo player. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. I'm also studying how to speak about gaming. Um I'm not a gamer, but it's not because I'm against gaming. It is because I have an addictive personality. So once I get into something, I am all in. We have a book club. I'm reading four books a month. I'm all in. If we do like a gamers club, it's I'm not going to have a life. That's basic. I'm not going to see sunlight. So thank you to everybody on Twitch uh, right now watching us. And of course, everybody on YouTube. So something... Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the last um, decade doing cable news, uh, not so much seen on MSNBC anymore, because, you know, once I came out as a Bernie supporter after the 2016 race, they were like, that's cute. We're, we're, we're eliminating the leftists. That thing is growing. We're going to get rid of them. But of course, Fox News is fair and balanced. Uh, so they like to mix it up and have some lefties on. And I. Uh, you know, over the years I've developed my, my strategies for going on Fox news. And I was surprised yesterday to be asked on, and I only go on like the news shows. I don't do any of the Hannity it's th- that's not fair game. I, I, I used to do Tucker. I think he's, he's going down on a, I mean, he's always been bad. I think he's a white supremacist. Let me just make that very clear. When I go on, I go on to debate him, but I don't even want to go on his show anymore because I feel like he's part of this uh, red brown alliance with certain members, of the left and the right. That's their choice, but I'm not going on to be his friend. I'm not going on Fox news to be anybody's friend. I'm going on to make sure that I stand for working people, and for progressive values and economic justice, because Fox News is still the most popular cable network or has been at least, uh, the most popular cable network everywhere. And during the Biden uh, Obama years, excuse me, Obama years, there were just as many Democrats watching as Republicans. And Obama even said they made the mistake in the beginning by not taking Fox News seriously. So it is important that we reach whoever we reach. I will go on their platform to reach Anybody we can loop in, I won't bring them on our platform. See what I'm saying? That's how this works. You don't, you don't bring Nazis onto your show. You don't, you don't let them spew their talking points, but you go in there and hope that you can bring people in. The reason I say this is because I was asked on one of the news shows yesterday. And The news shows are daytime. They're traditionally less controversial. Uh, they might have some guests on that are obviously controversial because it is cable news and everybody does it, but the hosts... You know, it's not Hannity. It's not Laura Ingram. It's not Tucker Carlson. So I went on yesterday and I, 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 the reaction I had was exactly the reaction that people wrote about. I was so surprised because on day one, they were already criticizing the press secretary, Jen Psaki uh, of, of the Biden administration for being too friendly with the press and the press being too friendly with her. Let's roll that clip real quick.
3: Secretary is facing mostly friendly questioning during yesterday's press briefing, a stark contrast from what we were seeing for President Trump's press secretaries. Well, you take a look for yourself. Here's some comparison.
4: It's been reported that you did $500,000 worth of, of deep cleaning. Could you talk about the measures that you took to ensure that uh, the president is safe? I understand
3: your point. But it you is so extreme The president day. himself no. called it. I understand. Is what? he
5: confused or are you confused? No,
3: I'm not or? confused. Do you see yourself, uh, your primary role, is promoting the interests of the president, or are you there to provide us the unvarnished truth? You know, you've been saying this
6: over the last couple of weeks that nobody has been tougher on Russia and Vladimir Putin yes. than this president. Isn't there some hyperbole in that when you say you give
0: us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office?
6: Shouldn't the president be telling people the truth about this virus at his rallies?
2: The president is telling people the truth, and you're right, Jim, that he was no, he's talking he's about... saying that
6: it affects virtually nobody and that it doesn't affect young people. He's not telling the truth.
0: On a lighter note, uh, will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color scheme change?
6: We always focus on Trump, Harris, but, you know, I worked for President Bush. He had the same level of hostility at the end of his administration that we saw very similar to what we saw with President Trump. They just are against our policies and what's funny about the Trump policies is they're very popular. The idea of having energy jobs and lower energy prices and Getting tough on China and making right. sure we only have legal immigration—they're popular. Matt policies. Trump should have hired
0: you to be press secretary because you're brilliant at it. Again, this is day one, and I can't believe I'm like, are we on another planet right now? She's had one press conference where she literally just introduced herself to the press corps, and we're subtly saying that there is a double standard. Towards, let's not forget, towards the end of the George W. Bush presidency, he was the most unpopular president. Now Trump is the most unpopular president. So maybe it has something to do always with the, Republicans. And the wars and the impeachments. It's not all. Republicans. You don't think Clinton, Bill Clinton, had a destructive relationship with the press corps? Come
6: on. Yeah. All right. He had to do something pretty terrible to get it.
3: Uh, As
0: okay. Trump I'm going
6: to step in here.
3: Work. They asked Jen Psaki about the preferred colors inside the, the White House that this president might have, his color scheme. Uh, shots in arms. We were promised a million a day by the, the new president. Might have started there. Anyway, they did get to COVID. Uh, I'm going to move on. Good to see you both. Thank you. Thanks. One lawmaker you. pushing I- back. At-
0: so, I know that this clip is going, going around right now, and, and I appreciate you guys for sharing it, but what this illustrates to me is, is the state of the Republican Party. I actually want to have a bigger conversation about this. The Republican Party is, they're, they're trying to figure out their talking points. You have Mitch McConnell, who's stalling on impeachment because if you want to kill something, if you don't want, he doesn't know what he's, he's he wants to impeach Trump, and the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, doesn't want to impeach Trump, saying the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, says uh, that, uh, that, 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 that Trump did not incite the insurrection, and McConnell is saying he did incite the insurrection. They don't have... <laughs> They don't have their talking points down. And and it was just so ridiculous that on day one, which, of course, is going to be lighter. You you have Matt Schlapp, who's a professional communication. I mean, his wife, Mercedes Schlapp, they both worked in the Bush administration, uh, Bush Jr. Uh, Mercedes Schlapp worked on the Trump administration. They were both anti-Trump in 2016 and then, of course, moved in because they're great Republican opportunists. And, uh, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that... Their reaction to Jen Psaki's first day, which did have very substantive questions, by the way, was they weren't treating her harsh enough when, and they're comparing it to the last days of the Trump administration and the last days of the Bush administration where Bush was basically run out of town, if you don't remember, but the one part of the clip you didn't see was when MatchLab goes, you know, they're treating, they're, they're, they're treating um, Jen Psaki so, they didn't treat Trump like this. Trump got so much hostility from day one. On day one, Steve Bannon came out and called the press, the enemy, the opposition party. What do you expect? What do you expect when you treat the free press, who we don't always agree with? Yes, much is is corporate, but we don't always agree with them. When Steve Bannon and the Trump administration are declaring them the enemy, are you kidding me right now? They are flailing. They are flailing. So let this serve as a reminder right now, progressives, that the Democrats have the upper hand against the Republicans for now, for this brief little minute. It's not. It's probably gonna go away, right? Definitely gonna go away in two years, historically speaking. So we have an opportunity to do what we talked about in the last segment, pressure Biden and other Democrats who are also not on the same page about things like the student debt. When Chuck Schumer, who represents Wall Street, and Joe Biden, who came out of credit card uh, haven, tax haven Delaware, Can't agree on what number to eliminate with the student debt. First off, they're talking about it. They're willing to do it. That's great. Now, it's our job to pressure and make sure that these Democrats, who are not on the same page, answer to us. Because as I said yesterday in my opening, the Democrats right now have to negotiate with us, not the Republicans. And that is why Mitch McConnell is trying to stall impeachment. They don't know what to do. We will be right back with our panel. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. I don't know if you guys knew, but today is uh, what we call Femme Friday. It is one of the four days out of the week that we air, and it is always women. And we're really excited to have a very old friend, Emma Vigland, who is, of course, the co-host of The Majority Report. Look at that background. Are you still in studio, Emma? Don't you ever go home and sleep? Go home.
7: (laughs) No, I would love to, um, but I'm in a studio apartment. My significant other is there, can't disturb him when he's working, so I'm relegated okay. to the studio, I'll never leave.
0: I thought Sam was exploiting you, because then we'd have to have a little bit of conversation with Sam Cedar and say... We would,
7: but you know, he, he may be a curmudgeon, but his <laughs> uh, treatment of me is pretty good.
0: <laughs> so far, so good. Same with me, I want to make that very clear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and we're very excited for the first time ever to have Daniela Lapidus, who... This is what it means being in a city, guys. I don't know if you you know the noises that come in and out when you're in the middle of an, an intro. But Daniela Lapidus is a progressive organizer. She is the former Help Desk Director for Bernie Sanders 2020. I can imagine the kind of questions you got all the time. You also have a very fiery Twitter account. So I'm excited to have you on the show for the first time. And you're on mute, just as heads up. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) So I want to start off. um, This has been a busy news week. Uh, Lots of executive orders, lots of of movement happening. But one of the big progressive uh, policies that I wish would go a little bit bolder, but listen, the fight that we've been having over this for a long time, I get it, is the $15 minimum wage. Uh, Let's play the clip really quick that we have of this debate over the $15 minimum wage which we're still having, by the way. We've been having for like a decade, but still having it.
6: Family businesses in Oklahoma and Tallahassee and Chicago suburbs, they're the ones. They can't afford $15 minimum wages. They're the ones. They're the American entrepreneurs.
1: We
3: had our capital attacked two weeks ago. Uh, We have this tension in America because we what does that this, have to do with the minimum wage? It has a lot to do with it because we have a huge gap between rich and poor, which continues to get wider every year between Republican and Democrat administration, and it's fraying the social fabric of our country, period. And that's why we have both populist movements on the right and support? the left.
6: Why wouldn't you support starting businesses and giving them a tax break for 24 months and not binding them by that. any minimum wage? Why wouldn't I, you do that? What's Why couldn't I, I you get support, behind that?
4: I
3: would support tax breaks for new businesses, and I would give them a break on the minimum <laughs> sure. wage for, for a small period of time. Uh, I really are talking. But, but that's let's, small let's, businesses. I think the, the bulk of what I think we need to shift is how we think about employees in our bigger businesses. Um You know listen 20 years ago you used to get a job as a janitor working for a company like apple and you'd get health care and you'd get and you'd get you know the college program if there was one today that's all outsourced and so this drive to have only uh, shareholder value as the only beacon just doesn't work anymore it's why people are moving to multi-stakeholder stakeholder stakeholder capitalism uh anytime the system goes under
6: stress Anytime it goes under stress, anytime there's a financial correction, people point to saying capitalism doesn't work, it's got to be changed. You don't change it. You don't touch it. It is basically working all the time, but it has an element of volatility to it. I don't think putting a new cost in some regions that could be as high as 25 percent. We've always put rules around capitalism. We don't don't let
3: children under 12, you know, tie little knots and make rugs anymore because we thought that was unethical. (laughs) Like, we're allowed to put (laughs) rules around capitalism. We have from the very beginning. And so having some rule where we say there is some limited amount of money that we don't want. that it's just so unethical to have a guy toil hey, hey, away. Kevin. For
4: it. Kevin uh, it, it... All right. <laughs> Who
7: would have thought the, the villain from shark tank is an asshole.
0: <laughs> He's also Canadian. I thought that he would have some empathy towards, I don't know, human rights. Just a little bit. A little that.
7: Well, yeah, you would think, but uh, I mean, it's like a, the, I, I hate operating in fiction and, uh, <laughs> the idea that yeah okay small businesses around the country which are thriving by the way with this this kind of rhetoric like um the idea that uh that's really who's who uh kevin there is concerned about is laughable to me
0: i mean danielle you you were on the Bernie campaign and this is uh, you you I can imagine how many small business uh, owners, uh, people who are in low wage jobs, this is the Bernie campaign to me was emblematic of everybody from what the Chamber of Commerce used to be what it used to be about, not the big business lobbying Chamber of Commerce, but the small businesses, the people who own, you know, the barber shop and and the ice cream shop, you know, if they still exist in your town. Their concerns with not just the $15 minimum wage, but making sure that, that their businesses can thrive, especially in a pandemic. This is just like gobbledygook to me, but it also seems like, to me, it seems like a sign that, that they, they recognize something's wrong. So the fact that they're even having that conversation is a good sign. I mean, this wouldn't happen if it weren't for Bernie, right? Totally.
8: And I think that it's so disingenuous that so many people who want to put up false arguments about the $15 minimum wage are not out there crusading for more direct relief for small businesses during the pandemic, are not there for $2,000 recurring checks or payroll assistance. Um, If we really want to preserve small businesses, there are so many things that we have to do now, even before we can go ahead and implement a $15 nationwide minimum wage.
7: Yeah. And, 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 Obviously, that's true. Uh, I, I, the people who would be most affected um, by a $15 minimum wage increase is not the mom and pop shop down the road, which right. this kind of thinking has already forced out. It's, of course, these multinational corporations, right. which are by far the greatest employers in the country and around the world. And at a local restaurant, say the price of a steak or a pasta dish goes up a dollar, goes up uh, 10 cents. The people who are getting the $15 minimum wage, that helps them so much more than it hurts the person who is able to dine out to use these services. And so that's the disingenuous argument that's being had there. And yet, you know, there's never a discussion about how Productivity has increased so exponentially and the wage has remained flat for decades and decades. It's 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 the the amount of productivity by American workers Mm -hmm. is dwarfing the money that they are receiving. And so part of that is why multinational corporations have been able to create this stronghold in our country where they're able to create a system of uh, essentially indentured servitude so people are forced to take those low wages. It's this circular system that is never examined on those financial channels. I watched a good amount of that in the pandemic, and it makes you want to rip your hair out it's 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 a cult in many ways
0: i mean it is it's 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 not just that capitalism is a cult wall street's a cult and 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 these we should be watching cnbc and we should be watching fox business because it's the most more extreme version of cnbc i mean at least they had the guy on it was like ah, we used to regulate i mean kids don't sit there at three years oh, old man.
7: Like, fox what? business is where like fox it kicks its craziest people i mean lou dobbs and uh stewart varney are oh absolutely God. nuts <laughs> So I think I
8: mean, this- also these. Sorry, I was God, just going to say I think also a lot of these folks live in denial that um, you know the fifteen dollars minimum wage has been already implemented in localities and uh, places across the country. Like in San Francisco, here um, a couple of years ago, I was working as an Instacart shopper and probably uh, one of the few people making the fifteen dollars minimum wage already at Instacart, which is now
7: facing its own union crackdown. Unbelievable! So, that's uh, that's know. such a hot button hot, hot button issue right now. Yeah.
8: Right. Like the world didn't explode in San Francisco. Consumer goods did not double in price. Um, And honestly, since the movement for $15 minimum wage has been going on for such a long time, it's really worth questioning whether that really is a livable wage nationwide right now.
0: You know, it's. I, I ran for office a couple of years ago for Public Advocate, and we had a couple of issues that we were running on. And one was specifically, and we got so much pushback. And I I mean, I, I had some consultants who were like, I don't know if you want to do that. And I said, no, I'm, I don't care if we listen. We lost. I don't care if we continue to lose. I don't care if people don't donate to us. I don't care if we get death threats. What we did over this was a $30 minimum wage. And it was New York City, right? So if New York City had kept up with inflation, and New York specifically, and this does not tie in the cost of living just not tie in rent Does not tie if we had just kept the wages up with inflation the minimum wage 2 years ago would have been $33 that's just for inflation. Now, the media pushback I got was, of course, small businesses. Uh, friends of mine said, you know, that's really too much. You know me, it's too much. We can't afford it. And and I said, well, first off, it was for businesses with over 75 employees, which is a big deal because you've got Google, We still have Amazon warehouses, and so many other businesses across New York City. Uh, the tech sector, of course. You know, I'm not saying that the tech sector pays their workers $15 an hour, but they have They have uh, many workers who work there overnight, uh, cleaning staff, uh, whether I mean, we don't even understand fully. We always think tech and these big businesses is just the high wage workers and don't understand how much of those buildings and those businesses are kept up by uh, the support staff, the folks who come in and and serve the food, who deliver the products, who who keep the businesses clean, the tech support for the tech people. Um, And it was. It was just very interesting to see how much of even progressive America, Democratic-leaning voters, had been brainwashed. I, I don't want to use that word, but influenced by this rhetoric, which just—I mean, it's like ten years ago when when Democrats just—they tricked. It is—it's Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It's exactly it. When, if you want to buy a coffee, I always say this on our show, $5, patreon.com is, is a cost of a, a New York City iced coffee.
7: <laughs> that not- is a five. The $5 is generous for a cold brew in New York. Oh my God. And just a, an aside, get a cold brew maker. I got one. It has saved me so much money. Really oh, good. Well,
0: that means I have to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now I got that. yeah. <laughs> but that $5, um, It was actually we we did a a visual of this where it was like three quarters of the coffee was actually the cost of rent. It wasn't the cost of labor. It was the cost of rent. So all of these things tie together. Um, So I want to I want to flip the script just a second, because uh, there is speaking of New York, there is a new congresswoman who calls herself the anti-squad leader, Nicole Meliotakis, I'm Greek. I'm a little embarrassed to say that she's a fellow well, Greek.
7: We covered this on the show today, and Sam could not pronounce that
0: name. Shocking. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. You're Sam, shocked? who's known me for years now, cannot say my name, even it though he says it It is a every beautiful, day.
7: beautiful moment in my, in my life when I have to watch him pronounce your name on a daily basis, and it's a, just a new... It's a new uh, way every single time. But continue,
0: I'm sorry. We should have a coffee table book. Yeah. So rep- Representative Maliotakis, who represents um, parts of South Brooklyn and Staten Island, which is traditionally very conservative, very working class. I mean, all of New York is. But uh, she went on Aaron Burnett's show on CNN and tried to defend her vote against certifying Biden's election win. Let's play that clip.
1: I'm just wondering I'm just wondering do you do you when you look back and are honest with yourself do you feel that that you sort of bought into a narrative uh, here that that we all know was completely false I mean the president's out there saying 5,000 dead people voted in Georgia two dead people voted in Georgia but it was rhetoric like that that got people like you on board do you feel you were duped well I I, I- I think that there are there is an issue that
5: there are tens of millions of Americans who are concerned about whether there are safeguards in our election. But they're concerned process. because of lies and like they that.
1: Sure but they're it. concerned because of lies they like want- that. That that is a lie. They heard that. If I heard that and believed it, I might be concerned too. But it's not true. That is why we have to have. That's, <laughs> that is why we should
5: be having a hearing into the process to see what what safeguards are needed. Where. Where were these prior uh, convictions that took place in various states? How do we make the system better? How do we restore the faith of the American people that when they go to vote, their vote does count and it matters? That is what this is all about. And if we can have a public hearing about it a discussion and a debate on the House floor, instead of attacking people personally, I think we would
1: actually get some- Again, I just want to make sure that, that, that you are clear, there was no widespread fraud. There is no question about what happened in this election. And that is very different than saying we want to make sure that every vote counts that should count and every vote that shouldn't, shouldn't. Those are those are two very different things to talk about. Absolutely.
5: Well, absolutely. And I've never I've never said anything about widespread broad. I've said that there have been certain irregularities that need to be looked at closer and that the American people deserve to know uh, if if that took place in this election and it appears that it did in certain states and that and that is all we're asking for. Right? I think that's very fair. And that would just ease the the oh minds of, of tens of millions of Americans who feel that the election wasn't fair. All so right, so right, let's right, just right. I, I think that that's something
0: worthwhile to be uh, looking. So before we get into the psychoanalysis, <laughs> First, she just got elected. How is she minority whip already? I, just side note, like that shows how, the desperation of the Republican Party. But what angers and the me is cussing with New York,
7: by the way. And express, exactly, yeah,
0: exactly. What annoys the hell out of me about this is why is CNN covering it? Why they're propagating this? They're making yeah. this worse.
7: Well, you Fox, know why. You know yeah, why I, they they need I, to talk about Trump until the well like runs so dry that it becomes an arid desert.
0: That's, right. Well, don't worry. He's not going away. We'll get to that in a second. But Daniela, I mean, I... that just
8: really raised my blood pressure.
0: I just when she Sorry. says
8: attacking people personally, right in the wake of literal physical attacks, like guns, bombs, physical attacks on members of our Congress on in our Capitol because of the exact lies that she's defending. Like, go home. New York does not want you. This is unacceptable.
7: Yeah, uh, I we covered this on the majority report today too, and like she got caught in her own logic circle there, right? So Aaron Burnett was was like, okay, there is no voter fraud. Well, we need hearings to determine if there's voter fraud. No, you need hearings to CYA, cover your ass, um, because you ran on a lot, or not ran on this, but you know she ran as a pro-Trump representative and unseated Max Rose, who. won his election in 2018 and correct me if I'm wrong Nomi on an anti-corruption kind of uh run where he went after his opponent and talked about all the donations that his Republican opponent had taken from big industry and then in 2020 he ran on I hate AOC and I hate defund the police and then he lost so um (laughs) Now we have the gift of, and I can't say her last name. I'm actually going to defer to you, and Mario is it? Takis, if I want okay. to say it, Yeah, <laughs> I, I won't even attempt it.
8: Um, yeah, I mean, I saw so many community organizers in New York City, I really respect, comment that Max Rose lost because he didn't inspire them to come organize for him again. Like, Staten Island is not easy to keep blue or to, to elect um, a Democrat. And so if, if you want, progressive support, you can't go around saying you stood with Trump. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I mean, and now he's, he's now uh, working for the VA. I mean, a lot of people don't understand there are, they think of, of Staten Island as, as being, you know, full of racists and, and, and we're... <laughs> It's I've spent a lot of time in Staten Island. There's a ton of diversity there. Uh, there's there's a large immigrant uh, immigrant population there from South Asia. Uh, there's public housing there where people are really worried about the public housing being fully funded and not full of lead paint and, and 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 tainted water. Not to mention heat being turned on, not to mention that they're paying for their public housing. It's not like it's free. Many cases, it's thousands of dollars a month, and they're not being provided basic services. It's 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 New York City is the worst landlord in the country, in my opinion. Um, and yet, Max Rose wanted to be Trump light friendly, and it's the numbers just don't add up, in my opinion. I don't I don't know why Democrats have to do this, or progressives, let alone have to do this.
7: And and also, uh, just another point on this, like. What is an amazing um, and important consequence of the Democrats taking back the Senate by the narrowest of margins is that we don't have to have hearings like she's talking about there. I exactly. mean, she can, <laughs> she can kick and scream all she wants. I know she's in the House, but um, the the House and the Senate are not going to take up these B.S. election fraud uh, hearings and so um this is really just about to bring your to bring it back to why is cnn covering this this is really just about cnn continuing to talk about trump um because there is nothing to be gained from talking about this anymore the republicans don't have the power to make it an issue uh in, in congress and and so it, it's really just about you know let's keep milking this from both her perspective and aaron burnett's perspective again I, maria representative from staten island perspective is what
0: i meant yeah it's okay nicole's maria's are all the same in in the greek community um (laughs) perfect lead in, uh emma because we often talk about you know a lot of these leftist shows they like to call out you know jordan peterson and they like to talk about ben shapiro and the iww I don't like to call it the IWW, but I do think it's uh, IDW. Excuse me, not IWW. IWW is a different thing. Um, The ID, I like the just DW, which is not the intellectual dark web, just the dark web. And I'm talking about Joe Rogan because I know he, I know he endorsed Bernie, and I understand the endorsement, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I don't think that he is good for the movement. Uh, He's not independent. He was paid a an extraordinary amount of money to get a prime spot on Spotify, which is a publicly traded company. He is the mainstream media. And it's wonderful that he puts on people like Bernie Sanders, but it's not so great when he also puts on Nazis and Alex Jones and a lot of bad people. And maybe he uses Bernie Sanders to bring them into his show. And then maybe a few of them just spill over and you got to run Brown Alliance. Well, Joe Rogan hyped the possibility of Donald Trump creating the Patriot Party. Let's uh, let's just put that up real quick because there's there's a little bit of information about this. Uh, He says, what's fun is a bad guy and we need another bad guy. We don't have a bad guy like bad boy like Trump.
4: What happens next? This what are you gonna do with all this? You got you you like the fight, you like you like the conflict. <laughs> what are you gonna do with all this energy? You Good. got this Let, conflict let's, energy. Let's rechannel that. Let's mm. re-channel to that real problems? to actually fight for the people That's against not those who wield. Uh, the, the power. Yeah, but that's not fun. What's fun I is a bad guy. Is. Bad guys are fun. We need another bad guy. <laughs> we, we got plenty of those. Trust me. We got plenty of bad guys. I know, but we don't have a bad guy like Trump.
1: But here's, here's the thing is, and I agreed, like people who have been uh, looking forward to January 20th as though this is going to solve all of the, all of the problems yeah. that our country has faced uh, are missing the reality that the way we got here are because of some some deeply seated problems that, that have preexisted
4: uh, the previous administration.
2: <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience.
4: Um, another thing I, I heard, this is really crazy, that Trump is going to start a third party that he's been talking about start, starting a party called the Patriot Party, which is like, holy shit.
1: I don't know anything about that. You know, again, I know is... rear view mirror. <laughs> rear view mirror. <laughs> I don't believe he's gonna be in the rear view mirror.
4: I just don't. I think people are gonna get bored. I think it's gonna a few months will go by or whatever it is until he's in the news again. And then uh it just won't be exciting without him. And then I think we need a foil. We need someone. <laughs> look look the fucking twenty twenty one season. It's going to be pretty boring if Trump's not involved at all. Like if, if this was a long-running show, like Ozark or something like that, oh, right? Gosh. And we get to, <laughs> we get to the new season when he steps down. Like, this can't be it. Oh, I see what they're going to do. They're going to pretend that everything's going to be fine. We've got Biden, we've got Harris. We've got uh, a lot of uh, really diverse people in the cabinet. This is going to be wonderful. We got it. We nailed it. Everything's great. And then something that's what the worry is. Joe Rogan, I mean, this
0: is this is part of a trend here guys. Like we have Joe Rogan who's part of the mainstream and there're plenty of other folks who have spent more energy and time attacking leftists or purity tests or whatever they want to say women the squad the fraud squad let's come up with a list of things it's not like they don't have enough threats coming from you know the constant fox news and and q uh forums that attack them but but you have joe rogan who oftentimes props up uh right-wing friendly alt-right and then bros from the left to kind of, like, align. And and I'm really concerned about this on a whole other level at this point, especially if Joe Rogan is testing this idea of a patriot party and, like, literally just calling, like, Trump a bad guy. Daniela, I mean, you worked on Hillary, or Hillary's campaign, excuse me, Bernie's campaign. <laughs> um, did you see this, this, could you see this happening months ago? Honestly,
8: I don't mean this as harshly as it may come out, but... When I hear about that, about that need for a bad guy, it also reminds me of Joe Biden's comments um, that we need a strong opposition party. And it's just comments like that, whether they come from Joe Rogan or Joe Biden or whoever about like creating this villain that we need to fight or propping up our own opposition that just show me that certain people think of politics as either maybe just a game or a and thinking about it on the balance of what these things mean for, for people's lives. We do not, in fact, need a strong opposition party. We do not need um, Trump to have a bigger platform in a Patriot Party to spread his racism, to spread white supremacy. Come on, even the name Patriot Party like, harkens to like, nationalist, um, white supremacist history across the world. Uh, yeah, I think it's really unhealthy uh, whether it's Joe Rogan or Joe Biden propping up the need for a GOP that has shown its true colors more than ever in the past year or so.
0: Emma, what's what's really crazy to me about this 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 like flip for Joe Rogan specifically versus people who are we're just openly more political. Like their shows are more political. They talk about politics every day. What concerns me about this is his audience is huge. He has been you know, he, an apologist for Elon Musk, who's now the world's richest man. In the, um, he has been an apologist for Elon Musk's uh, stances on COVID. He has been a COVID denialist. He has constantly uh, pushed out conspiracy theories. And I think what I often hear on the left is, or from other folks, is that it's just about clicks. It's not about some sort of perspective. It's just because it, it, it attracts clicks. I don't buy it, but, but you're in this industry. What do you think? Well, yeah. So, I'm sorry.
2: My
7: internet cut out. I don't know if you guys saw if I froze for a little bit there. So, I'm sorry, Danielle. I couldn't really hear, uh, or Danielle, I couldn't really hear uh, what you said. But, um, but I I agree with a lot of what you said, Nomi, and how you set it up. Uh, Look, I mean, I'm more forgiving of Rogan in the sense that, like, I, I was annoyed by the mainstream media's reaction to, like, oh, how dare he host a debate? We are so impartial when, you know. Right. Like Rogan is kind of more of a regular Joe in that in in this instance, right? Where he's he's his politics are all, all over the place and they're hard hard to decipher. But recently they've become a little clearer. Mm. And what you're talking about is a personality based thing. We don't need a bad guy. Like that's the kind of talk of somebody who is removed from the consequences of politics. And like that's a lot what of what the online brain melting does when you're way too online when you're not actually i mean obviously like jimmy Dore is a prime example of this like you know when when it's all about interpersonal conflicts personalities people like donald trump we need another bad guy why i mean why are you if you're actually interested in building power to help people that would be a completely insane thing to say. Rogan isn't. I mean, I think he is interested in making money. I think he likes having different people on. And in some ways, it can be a real force for good, like that interview with Bernie Sanders that got so many millions and millions of views. But at the same time, he's fine with having really despicable people on and and providing them with a platform with zero pushback because he's basically this amorphous actor that doesn't, seem to have an ideology except for enriching himself which is fine he's a charismatic guy but i think it is concerning that like if he does trend towards this ideology with him floating this if if, if it's more than this like he has a massive platform that should not be underestimated
0: and what also just concerns me about this is the timing. Um, you know he's doing this simultaneously as other hosts on the on the what they call what they label themselves, But I don't even think they are, given who their audience is made up of, um, the supposed left populists. and And I you know, I don't think they're left because I don't think they stand for workers' rights. I don't think they you know they've criticized openly criticized not just the squad, but they've criticized ESA. Um, they've criticized every electoral strategy but their own, which is, only proven to be <laughs> not, not realistic. Um, but simultaneously, they have pushed forward another uh, party. And and just today, uh, some of them have have said things like, we should team up with the right populists, like the Boogaloos. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just, to me, it's it's not just about money anymore. I mean, it's great, yes. They, they are probably making a lot of money doing this. But it is an, a vulnerable time when... We as progressives finally finally have the ability to pressure Democrats because because McConnell can't even figure out what he's doing he can't even unite with the, the the House side right now they're 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 they're, they're, they're scripts all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean
7: instead of capitalizing on dividing the Republican Party, which is something Sam talks about a lot. Yep which is making the republicans fight amongst themselves for the first time in forever they're fighting amongst themselves right like that is exciting that is something that should be exploited that's what politics does instead of that there's a faction of people on the internet who you know i make no qualms about i like i no longer have a relationship with brianna joy gray i mean i like i uh, gray joy i no longer you know whatever like that's not going to happen anymore because i i I just think it's incredibly divisive, um, and
0: and and hurting the movement for personal attention. But I mean, it's important, though. I mean, this is this is uh, drawing a line in the sand is important especially if we're doing this for the right reasons and i'm of the belief that all of us got into this because we wanted to see people's lives materially better and we might have different strategies in getting there but my line in the sand is i don't team up with uh nazis just gonna say that <laughs> i don't build alliances with them yeah throwing that out there uh Daniela, do you have any final thoughts
8: no i think you're totally on point and that um honestly like all of these Thoughts about parties, uh, taking a certain strategy and so on. It is not what's on the minds of Americans who just need $2,000 next week um, or emergency health co- coverage. Like, we can talk however we want about theory, identity, politics, whatever. But the center of power right now is with the newly elected unified democratic government. And these people are vulnerable to our pressure to get something done. Otherwise, we will not see this um, trifecta of control again for a long time.
0: You're here, Emma. Have you yeah. not lost your voice yet today?
7: I haven't. <laughs> I, I I realized just then when I messed up uh, Brown's name that I I like am tired. But uh, other than that, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good.
0: <laughs> so you know, I just realized we have we have the all women plan- panel on. Fridays, and we're all exhausted because we put in more labor and don't get paid as much. I should really do it on Mondays, but the best just a little secret in the YouTube industry, for you guys who really don't know, and the Twitch industry, the ratings are the best on Fridays. So I, I want to make sure all that. the boys, well, at least for me, I want to make sure all the boys hear all the great perspectives on women and then tell all of their allies to come and watch the No show <sighs> and, and learn more about feminism and other issues that they won't see on other male-hosted Lefty channels. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well. And with that, actually, credit to Sam because Sam has pulled over a lot of the alt right and some of the alt left into the majority report. He's he's there's been a lot of awakening uh in the last ten years, and he has made a conscious effort to have women like yourself emma so officially congratulations i know it's been it's been a bit now uh for becoming a co-host but no it's, thank it's you i mean way. thank
7: you I appreciate it I wouldn't be here if you know obviously there wasn't a tragedy that put me in this seat but um dear friend. It, uh, like you know all of our our friends um uh, michael was all was our friend so it, our dear it's, friend, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's there's so much bittersweetness surrounding it but um It really has been great because Sam is the best and and, uh, it's great to just, you know, build this, build something here in New York. And hopefully once we can see each other in person, we can all, you know, do a dinner or something like that.
0: (laughs) You're welcome to join us, Danielle. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we'll we'll make it a large one. I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, so much love, Emma Viglund, co-host of the Majority Report, former colleague at TYT. I'll never forget the first day I joined TYT. We were in the the that room at uh, WeWork, WeWork, I think.
7: Yes, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, that was um interesting. I mean, it's just geez, like that was a. You're like the only person I talked to still from that uh, hiring cycle. Is my what I might you know what I'll say. Um. Not Ryan like, Grimm, too. No, Ryan Grimm, yes. Yeah. Yes. But um, yeah. there were some Wonderful. characters like Michael Tracy <laughs> and
0: others. Yes. Anyway, speaking of the left, yep. uh, Daniela Lapidus, thank you so much for joining. Go check everybody's workout. We have it in the info section. Um, always grateful. Come back anytime. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. all right team thank you for joining the the live chat and just one more promo since i think we've had some new uh listeners viewers join us on twitch thank you twitch thank you everybody in twitch i will be joining for a halo game at some point in the near future it'll be a surprise uh and and if you want to see more surprises make sure to click that subscribe button and that little bell click that bell button on youtube and if you are not already and you want to support us on Patreon, that's how we make this magic happen. Join us at patreon.com slash The Nomi Key Show. You, be- you can become a patron. You can also become a member of our book club where we are reading The Plunket of Tammany Hall. It's a quick one. It's super interesting. Even though it was written 105 years ago, it's really easy to read uh, because it was it was George Washington Plunkett's speeches that he used to give uh, downtown New York right behind his office by the, the boot stand. Yeah. He was a Tammany Hall leader, and he talked about the lessons he's learned, he learned, as a Tammany Hall leader. And we just finished up a conversation with Arun Chowdhury, who is from New York State and has a lot of experience in politics and has a lot of opinions on this book. But what we focused on in particular was the lessons that we learned, the good lessons out of Tammany, because strangely enough, there are a lot of good lessons Kind of got erased from history, but there were some very good lessons, in particular how much uh, Tammany Hall supported working people, diversity, uh, immigrants. There was the honest graft, there was the dishonest graft. All of it is dishonest now, but back then, I guess they had different standards. But you definitely want to join us on uh, the Nomi Key Show, actually, patreon.com slash the Nomi Show we have three different levels of book club. It's really interesting. We're kicking off a great series. We're going to announce our schedule very soon. Uh, join us there right now. And let's let's do some what do we Oh my god. Art. Art. Thank you for the love, man. I'm so grateful. Wow. Oh my gosh, our whole team is grateful. Uh, to Okio Guda. Nomi, watch your Nomi Kisho more when Emma's around. I'll tell her just just saying uh, left is blessed. Thank you so much. Tokyo Gouda again. Oh, it was Tokyo, not Okio. Got it. Uh, the hypocrisy is laughable. The last administration completely abandoned press briefings. I know it literally did. And if they did one, it averaged 20 minutes or less condescension and taking questions from OAN. Exactly. Who wasn't allowed to actually sit in the pool. Agreed. Kyler Asado, I, I like the conversation around reparations, including Medicare for All. Would forgiving student debt be included in that? Can we talk more about the economy? I agree. I was thinking about that at the time. And and next time we have either Rep. Rabon or Marcus Farrell or any of other, uh, any guests who talk about reparations, I think it could be a, a really interesting aspect is tying in relieving student debt because they should all be together. They should be intersectional, if we want to use a, a trendy word. Um Kyler Asato also says, would you be into having Kara Jabola Job- Corollas on the show to talk about a feminist economic recovery? I love that idea. All right, we'll write that name down. Thank you. Great suggestion. If you guys ever have suggestions, uh, email us at the Nomi Show at gmail.com. We will try to get them, get to them as soon as possible. We are a small team, so we try our best. LCL Nall, shout out to Nomi Key for being the only person calling out Rogan and leftist trolls. I don't know if I'm the only person, but I smelled the Joe Rogan thing coming a while ago. Uh... I listened to him for a while and yeah, I'm more of a Mark Marin person. I know people don't talk about him as much anymore. I know he's not as left. I think he's open to being more left. I just don't think it's a space that he kind of grew up around and he's, he's evolved and he's learned as he's, as, as he's gone. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm more of a Marin person. If I'm going to listen to those long interviews from comedians with great guests, Marin's the one. He, he really leans into feminism quite a bit. Uh, he's done a lot of work around that, and I think that's that's very impressive. We need more allies to do that. <laughs> Rayleigh, avocado straw money. <laughs> Check out avocado straws. They're the best straws. I've tried them all. It doesn't, I don't have one of my straws here. It doesn't wilt. They're like hard plastic. They're great. I think $10 buys like 200 straws from Amazon. I don't like Amazon. Uh, $45 for a thousand straw pack, but do not buy from Amazon. Thank you for saying that. Femme Friday, know me kids, even though I'm older than know me key. (laughs) Hashtag know me geriatric kids. Ian Kinsel, one more time, LOL at the Shark Tank dude with, quote, capitalism is working in all times and all places. Oh, my God. And it sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake and knows if you've been bad or good. Well, who I don't know what bad would be to them, like not paying. Uh, they're not letting it strike. Basically, that's what, what bad would be to capitalism. Patrick Amarek says we could address the small business problem, wage problem uh, by subsidizing those wages and tax big businesses and mar- a marginal amount more. 100% agree. And Fun Police says, you "No, know, Mickey, can we get Andrea uh, Cyberdemon on next week? I do think that we reached out to her, so we'll figure out when she's on next. We, we book out in advance, pretty far in advance. Ray Lee says, from FDR on a living wage, quote, no business which depends for existence on paying less than living wages to its workers has any right to continue in this country. You know, today we had a little bit of a debate over FDR and Tammany Hall. That's why you have to join the book club. Super interesting conversation. Prairie Fire Kowalski from Nebraska uh, says a higher minimum wage prevents the capital drain in the local economy. Small businesses would never would have a larger market when the local economy keeps the profits they generate. Exactly. A $17.50 minimum wage tied to CPI. I couldn't agree more. Um, although I still believe a $30 minimum wage. And Harvey K. sent us Love. And if you are a member of the book club, you will hear from Harvey K one more time because we just finished up Thomas Paine and the promise of America. He joins us to answer your questions, which you can submit at the new show at gmail.com. Lots of questions. Great book. Uh, Yeah. Oh, 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 that's his minimum. Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm answering Dorsey in real time. Uh, He thinks that the minimum wage should be twenty five dollars. I think it should be thirty dollars because you got to start high. And Alex Orlowski says, actually, the debt collective could integrate the reparations aspect to canceling all kinds of debt as part of their platform. I agree. I went to go click and then I moved over all right so thank you to everybody in the live chat on twitch and on youtube special thanks to harvey k who's always in the live chat and joining us on air and then jumping to the live chat big thank you to midi doctors who always works the algorithms beautifully midi docs thank you and as always our moderators bob Chokin, the orb and chuck diesel who are on youtube and dorian sapiens and uh and and who else is on twitch and a difficult truth for twitch uh for keeping the live chat on Twitch troll, troll free. You guys are amazing. We're so grateful to you. Send us your addresses. We have a few of them but send us all of your addresses at the nomikeyshow at gmail.com. We want to send you some gifts. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. We will see you Tuesday at 3 PM. Same time, same place. Got so much to do now. Solidarity.